I also just want to say happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day, and that kind of falls on Sunday this year, that's kind of neat, and so we get to be here for that, and you know, I, I think about it, and I'm just, I'm so happy that there is a day when it is legal, normal, and even considered patriotic to just blow stuff up. I mean, that's, that's a holiday that I can get behind, right? As I thought about being here on the 4th of July, um, I have to admit to you, it was a little intimidating to me. Because normally a holiday for a speaker is just like a softball coming in. Man, you're just going to crank that. Who doesn't want to preach on Christmas? Who doesn't want to preach on Easter? Who doesn't want to speak or teach around the Thanksgiving holiday? You know, great skit by our contenders on, on thankfulness and some serious issues there that people face. Those are holidays that, you know, the, the, the regular pastor, the regular preacher isn't usually out of the pulpit on those Sundays. But the 4th of July, especially in light of the last 16 months, was a little bit more intimidating to me. And I thought stepping up and, and communicating, you see the title of my message tonight is True Freedom. And I thought, how, how am I going to communicate? What should I communicate? Because I'm going to guess that sometime over the last 16 months, one or two of you in here maybe, just maybe, disagreed with how the government handled things. And, and one or two of you in here may have even disagreed with, with how your pastor and your church leaders handled things. So how do I step into that setting and speak to you from the word of God? And then I remembered my out. I'm the guest speaker. I don't know most of you. So when you leave here tonight, I will have no idea which ones of you are mad at me and which ones of you are agreeing with me, and I will sleep like a baby. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn, please, to Romans chapter 13. I believe that the Word of God is inspired. It is sufficient for all that we face, and I believe that its principles are true and they are timeless. They are helpful and they are relevant to you and me today just as much as they were 2,000 years ago and will be 2,000 years from now. I don't know about you, but there is no asterisk in my Bible next to Romans 13 that says these verses don't apply in 2020, 2021. If your Bible has an asterisk next to that chapter, you need to get a new Bible. This is God's inspired truth that applies to you and me today. Amen? The epistle of Romans, as we jump in here tonight, I just want to give you a little bit of background. By the way, I should give this disclaimer up front. If you look through the evening sessions and you try to figure out a connecting theme, you're not going to find one. All right? I'm going to tell a little bit more about what God has been doing in our lives and introduce some of my family a little bit more with a different message. But really, the only connection that I can give you for what I plan to share with you this week is what God has been doing and what he has been teaching me. And so I hope and I pray that it will be encouraging to you as I just share with you how God has blessed, challenged, and I believe grown me over the last several months through some things that we've walked through. So that's the only connection, all right? 
Romans is an epistle written by the Apostle Paul. I would summarize Romans this way. It's everything you need to know about the gospel. Paul wrote this letter to a group of people that he'd never met face to face. He wanted to launch out of Rome and do more missionary work, and so he kind of wanted to give his theological background. He wanted to give his perspective on the gospel so they would know where he was coming from. And he writes this beautiful book. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Maybe a fuller definition is this. Now, now pay attention. There's a lot here. The gospel is God's eternal, God-revealing, God-glorifying plan for the salvation sanctification of those who believe. Now, I know that's a lot, so let me unpack it for you. The gospel is God's eternal plan. Folks, do you realize that the cross of Jesus Christ was not an audible that God called to get us out of trouble? It was a plan laid down before the foundation of the world. God is working out his perfect plan in every era, every age, every year, every moment. It's his eternal plan. It's his God-revealing plan. He's showing us himself. He's teaching us more about who he is and his character and nature through the gospel. The gospel is a God-glorifying plan. It's it's God-centric. It's Christ-centric. It's pointing to him. And it is for the salvation sanctification. And and, and you say, Pastor Stephen, are are you missing conjunction junction there? No, I'm not. I smashed those two together on purpose because that's what Paul does in Romans. Salvation sanctification. Paul doesn't get messy with those and split them up. He assumes that those who receive Christ will conform to the image of Christ. Those who call Jesus their Lord and Savior will live as if Jesus is their Lord and Savior. That's what Romans is teaching us. And it is for those who believe, those who are justified by faith. If you wanted to break it down further, you could say that Romans 1 through 3 is about condemnation. Romans 3 through 5 is about justification. Romans 6 through 8 is sanctification. 9 through 11 is restoration. And 12 through 16 is the application. The application. So notice, chapter 13 puts us in the application section of this book. Because of the gospel, this is what you should do. Because of the gospel, this is how you should live. So I want to say this up front. This text today is assuming that you have received the gospel and are living by its principles and power. So let me stop right there and let me ask the question, is that true of you? We're at a Christian camp, but I would never assume that in a room with this many people, every single person knows what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. There might be men, there might be women, there might be young people who are sitting here right now, I don't know what brought you here, I don't know what those around you think, but you have not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You do not know that if you were to step into eternity in a moment, you would be with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have not seen yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior. You have not recognized the great provision made by God through Christ that you might receive the free gift of forgiveness forever. A righteousness that is not your own can be yours, and sin that he never committed can be credited to the account of Jesus Christ that you might have forgiveness. Do you know Christ today? 
Have you received him? And if not, please don't leave this building without talking to me, to Pastor Tim, to anybody in here who you have confidence could point you to the truth. And then Christian, I want to say, if you've made that decision, are you, le- are you living according to that grace on a daily basis? There are many Christians who fully understand but that they're saved by grace alone, and then they start working really, 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 really hard to be sanctified. They start resting in themselves, they start resting in their efforts, and they do not realize that the sanctification, the conforming to Christ that happens in our lives is just as much a work of grace as our salvation. Let me give you a statement that I hope you'll you'll jot down or or you'll remember and it will be helpful to you. Listen to this carefully. If it doesn't require grace, it's not gospel. If it doesn't require grace, it's not gospel. It might be self-help. It might be improvement of your circumstances. But if it doesn't require grace, it's not gospel. So that situation, that relationship, that hardship that you're facing in your life, if you look at it and you say, I don't know how I can get through that. I don't know how I can handle that apart from the grace of God. Then praise the Lord. You are smack dab in the middle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight, I want to talk to you about true freedom. And you're going to need to remember that line, if it doesn't require grace, it's not gospel. Because what we're going to talk about tonight certainly requires grace. True freedom requires grace. The big idea for tonight is simply this. True freedom comes when we trust God. And when we obey the gospel, that's my only two points for you tonight. True freedom comes when we trust God and when we obey the gospel. And I hope to show you that from our text this evening. First of all, let's look at trusting God. Can I get real judgmental for just a minute? Is that okay? As long as you give me permission, then I can. I'm going to cast judgment on every single person in this room, myself included. I think that all of you in here have authority issues. I do, and I will proceed to prove my point. I'm going to say one word, and you feel what happens in your heart. Are you ready? Government. I'm not judgy. I'm just accurate, right? We all have authority issues. I used to get the paper, the actual paper paper, you know, that one that you could read. I'll be honest, I got it 60% because I like to read the comics, 30% for the sports section, 9% for the uh, coupons that came on Sunday, and 1% because I would try to keep up with the headlines a little bit. I canceled my subscription because of that 1%. I, I just didn't need that anymore. I didn't need that bombarding me. I'm not being an ostrich, but I don't need all of that bad news all the time. Christian, have you ever asked yourself this question, what am I supposed to do in the face of frequently inept, sometimes corrupt, and usually godless government. What am I supposed to do? In the face of frequently inept, sometimes corrupt, and usually godless government. And by the way, I don't care which party you line up with. Well, I do believe that the Bible gives us answers to these questions, and it tells us what we can do and how we should respond with general principles that do apply to our lives. They applied 2,000 years ago, and they apply today. Notice that I said general principles. 
I'm going to read a little bit longer quote for you because I think it makes the point very well about what this text is doing. Pastor Kent Hughes says, we must realize what this passage does not tell us. It does not directly say what we ought to do when the government departs from the role of God, the role that God has given it. It does not specifically explain what to do when our government is committing a moral wrong. Neither does it tell us what to do in the midst of a revolution. Maybe I would change that and say in the midst of a pandemic. This text also does not show us which form of government is best. It does not even commend democracy. I mention all of these things because many of the difficulties that are found in this chapter result from what is read into the chapter rather than what the chapter actually teaches. So let's stay focused on what this chapter is actually teaching us this evening and apply it to our context. Romans chapter 13 and beginning in verse 1, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And don't let the let deceive you. It's not an allowance. It's not saying you can do this if you want to. No, that's an imperative. It is a command. It's communicating what he expects. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. This is a submission to government that is complete, it is total, it is absolute obedience. That's what the words mean, and there's no way we can get around it. Yes, we are aware of different passages of Scripture, such as Acts chapter 5, 29. We're told we ought to obey God rather than men. But I would say that usually when I run into Christians, they are clamoring a lot more about their perceived rights than a violation of their genuine Christian responsibilities. There are things that I don't appreciate, that are things that are happening in the country that I don't agree with, but to this point, I have not been told that I cannot do what I believe is a genuine Christian obligation. I still have that freedom. And the day those freedoms are taken away, yes, we have the scriptures that we stand on to do what is right. But this is a text that is commanding us to do something that requires we trust in God and his plan even when it's hard. Notice that verse 1 says that God has appointed these individuals. He's appointed the individual authorities and God designed the entire concept of authority itself. God appointed them. God instituted them. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Paul is just following the logic. If you resist authorities, you're resisting God. This is family camp. We have a ton of parents here. This is easy for you to understand. Have you ever sent a sibling to go tell another sibling what to do? How'd that work out for you? You send a sibling, say, hey, go tell your sister, go tell your brother, time to pick up their toys, time to come in and eat or whatever, and they come back five minutes later, they're not listening. Because one sibling looks at the other sibling and says, I don't have to listen to you. You don't have the authority of mom and dad, but in that moment, that sibling has been delegated the authority, and that other sibling should be listening or they're flirting with judgment, right? We're too much like those kids. 
We look at governors and we look at authorities and we say, we don't have to listen to you. They have been invested with the authority of God. And God says, resist them at your own risk. There are consequences from government and from God. I want you to just follow along as I read verses uh, 3 through 5. And I'm going to emphasize some words and see if you pick up on what's going on here. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But... If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Listen carefully. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. The words that I emphasized were simply connecting words that I hope you see are forming a logical argument. For, then, but, would, therefore. Paul is making a case here that is incredibly logical, our response and the way we carry out our actions and attitudes towards the authorities that God has instituted are directly tied to him. And we have a twofold negative motivation to submit to the government that God has put in place. Number one is to avoid God's wrath. Number two is for conscience. For conscience. Did you see that? Did you know that the United States Department of Treasury has a conscience fund? They do. This is a fund that has been in existence for nearly 200 years. And that is where money goes that has been anonymously and voluntarily donated by people who have ripped off or defrauded the U.S. government. It's received over $6 million, including one time they got nine cents from a little old lady who reused a three-cent stamp two times. (laughs) My favorite is a letter that they received along with a $1,000 check that said, I can't sleep. I know that I cheated on my taxes, and it was wrong. I'm sending you this $1,000. If I still can't sleep, then I'll send the rest. (laughs) We have probably all experienced that that twinging, that that tinging of our conscience from time to time. Just the the other day, my brother Daniel, who lives down in Ankeny and Des Moines, pretty close to us, he sent me this little video. He says, hey, bro, check this out. He got a ticket in the mail for running a red light, and they had the courtesy to send him a link where he could actually watch himself running the red light. And he said, check this out. Yeah, bummer, man. I'm so sorry. The very next day, I was driving along. The light turned yellow. And what did I do? I thought, "Eh, I can make it. And as I went through the yellow light, I noticed right above me, you know, I feel like as long as the light's still yellow when it disappears, you're good. But if it turns red while you can still see it, you're probably running a red light. And as it was going over my head, it turned red. And and you know what? I instantly felt fear of the consequences. Oh man, am I gonna get a am I gonna get a ticket in the mail? But I also felt the twinging of my conscience. Why did I do that? I'm not in a hurry. There's no fire. 
I could have stopped. I had time to stop. I know that I did. I just didn't. We submit for God and for the sake of conscience. Folks, I know that the first five verses of this text are already very difficult. And they do absolutely require us to trust God. Living free, living free from fear, living in subjection to the authority that God has put in our lives absolutely requires us to trust God. But look at this. It doesn't get any easier. Look at verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. You heard that right, folks. Not only did God appoint individual authorities, not only did he design the entire structure of authority, but God has ordained that that authority structure be paid for by your tax dollars. It's right here in the Bible. Double check, I don't see an asterisk, do you? You know what, I, I'm not gonna go into a lot about taxes, I'm just going to assume that I hope that you're all being honest with that. But if that's hard for you, would you notice it doesn't stop with paying taxes? Give what is owed, taxes, Revenue, respect, and honor. Respect and honor. And it doesn't matter if it is or it isn't your guy. Folks, there is no place in the biblical Christian worldview for a sign that has the name of one of our authorities and an expletive at the same time. There is nothing right about that and there is nothing humorous about that. And it is shameful the publicity that people can get for saying and doing and posting something as disrespectful as that. Do you honor and respect the authorities that God has placed? Can I give you a simple test? Do you pray for them? Do you pray for them like Paul told Timothy to pray? First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you see that in a few short verses, God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, ties the way that you pray for the authorities to your gospel witness? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. You can look it up if you want to see it. Look at the bookends there. He talks about the way you pray for authorities being an effective means of gospel witness that people might realize there's a difference. We need to trust God if we want to live free. Secondly, we need to obey the gospel. We need to obey the gospel. We're, we're really talking about the law of love here. Let's move on to verse 8. He says, owe no one anything. That's really a clever transition by Paul as he departs from talking about taxes. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You need to trust God and you need to obey the gospel. I'm going to unpack that for you a little bit. We're talking about obeying the gospel, and what I mean by that is fulfilling this commandment, the law of love, and what it does for us. And I've got a simple illustration for this, and uh, I'm going to ask Cody Krigger to come up here for just a second. I looked out and saw only one man as beautiful and handsome as I am, so Cody's going to come help me. (laughs) So this is something that is very special to me. This is a painting that my sister-in-law Liz did of the, the two most important ladies in my life. Okay, this is my wife, Ellen, and this is my little girl, Emma. And this is an original painting, and this was given to me, and I just absolutely love this picture. It's very special to me. And Cody, I want you to hold this for me, but I'm going to ask you a question. If I let you hold it, will you please hold it very carefully? Yes. Okay, there you go. Now, I have some further questions for you. Cody, Are you going to throw that picture on the ground and stomp on it? No, No, you're not. Good. Okay. Are you going to spit on it, defile it, mark it up in any way? Are you going to take one of your beefy arms and punch through the back there? No, you're not. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. You can go sit down. I'll just leave this up here for, no, then nobody will look at me. I'm going to leave it right here. Okay. What is that simple illustration? Was Cody going to do any of those things to the picture? No. Why not? Because when he said, I will carefully hold this, he's precluding all of those other things. The law of love, do you see what it says? The law of love fulfills the Ten Commandments. When you love your neighbor as yourself, when you love like Christ, you don't have to worry about a laundry list of things that you're not going to do because the law of love that you're already obeying stops you from doing those other things. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? Just the other day, my family went to the Omaha Zoo. And it was really busy. It was the College World Series was there. We didn't know that. And we got there, and the place was just packed. We're looking for a parking spot. We, spar- we parked, and we took a stroller because uh, we have littler kids, and we thought if they get tired, and then we got you know, teenage boys, so we need about 300 pounds of snacks. And so we're pushing this stroller, and we're going through the parking lot, and we come to this spot, nice wide sidewalks, and we come to this spot where there's a little ramp up onto the sidewalk, and it's nice and wide, a great place to push a stroller up, but also wide enough for a car. And somebody who didn't want to drive 50 feet farther had pulled right up there and parked on that portion of the sidewalk. I don't believe it was an accident, okay? They just didn't want to go any farther, and they just parked right there. So we had to kind of go around them, work around them. And it bothered me more than it should have. And I just began to think to myself, you know, I thought, you know, how can I communicate that this person shouldn't have done that? You know, how can I just let them know that I, as a fellow person, didn't appreciate it? Now, give me some credit. I knew I shot down the key their car idea right away. I I wasn't going to do that. 
slash their tires. I didn't think about that one for long. But then the idea of just, just folding in their mirrors, you know? Just fold in their mirrors something that maybe when they got back, you know, maybe it would prick their conscience and they would think a little bit. And as I am debating this in my mind, as I'm thinking, you know, is, is that really the appropriate thing to do here? Suddenly a question was asked and it sounded surprisingly like my wife. Would that be loving your neighbor? And the decision was made. I didn't do it. You know, I can debate and I can think through, is it bad, is it good, where's the line? But the moment that I flipped the script, the moment that I asked the question, is it loving my neighbor, a whole lot of things get very clear. You need to obey the gospel, and that means fulfilling the law of love. Now, you're sitting here, and maybe you're thinking, Pastor Stephen, you can't force a feeling. You can't, you can't force me to feel a certain way. I do understand that. You can't force feelings. When we were growing up, there was a particular dish that my mother loved to make, and it was called creamed asparagus on toast. You guys know these dishes, right? They got a white sauce base, and then you put whatever you want in there, and then you put it on toast. Well, if you make this white sauce, and then you put asparagus in it, the asparagus mush gets mushy, and the whole thing turns puke green. <laughs> and my mom absolutely loved that, and she would make that, and we had to eat it. And I remember one morning that we were sitting there eating creamed asparagus on toast, and I'm kind of shoving it around my plate. My older brother, the champ that he is, he was just pounding it down, trying to get it over with, and he gagged just a little bit. <laughs> and sometimes when you gag just a little bit, you just keep right on gagging. <laughs> and breakfast played in reverse and landed right back on his plate. And my mom being a little bit frustrated, walked over there and she said, oh, Mark. And then she stopped and she looked down and she goes, it doesn't look any different. <laughs> you guys don't have to eat that anymore. As much as my mom liked that dish, she could not force us to like it. You can't force a feeling, but listen carefully. Listen carefully. You can't force a feeling, but God can command love. Do you know why? Because he made it possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the sacrifice of his son, through the example of our Savior, God made it possible for us to love even our enemies. John, 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us, not, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is the love of God that was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Obey the gospel. Obey the law of love. You say, Pastor Stephen, that's going to be hard. That's right. But if it doesn't require grace, it's not gospel. We need to trust God. We need to obey the gospel to truly be free. And as I, as I wrap this up, Paul really just piles it on at the end of the chapter. And we're just going to go through this quickly. In verse 11, he says, besides this, you know that the time, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in sensuality, not in quarreling, not in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. If I could summarize what I think Paul is trying to drive home for us here tonight, Paul is saying to those believers, and the Spirit is saying to us tonight, quit living like you have all the time in the world. You don't. Quit living like there's no expiration date. There is. And quit living like you're somehow in darkness, you're not. Again, I'm going to appeal to you parents here. Have you ever seen the child come out of the kitchen? The child that just asked for a snack and supper's only 45 minutes away, and you say, no, you can't have a snack. And they come out of the kitchen with three pounds of gold food, goldfish crumbs on their chest and, you know, trailing behind them. They've got their arm behind their back like this, and they're walking along. You say, what are you doing? <laughs> and that small child stands right in front of their parent and stares right into their parent's eyes like, I don't think they know. I think I'm playing this one pretty good. And as parents, you know, you're sitting there trying to be so stern, like, you're going to end up on world's dumbest criminals. That's where you're going to end up. <laughs> Folks, we are no different than those children. If there is a single sin in our life that we think is somehow in the dark, your heavenly Father sees and he will not allow you to get away with it. Christian, your lust, your adultery, your anger, your greed, your addiction, your bad attitude, your selfishness, it's just as obvious to your heavenly father as that sinful child is to you as a parent. So put off sin and put on Christ. Are you doing that? This would be a great week to get started. 
to look over your life and say, what am I doing that I know I shouldn't be? What am I not doing that I know I should be? Get specific. Write it down. Get accountability if you want to. I'll hang out after the services, and I'm happy to talk to any of you. Encourage you the best I can, but then please follow, find someone in your context or your situation who can help you. Say, but Pastor Stephen, it's going to be hard. You don't know how long this sin has been hanging on. You don't know how long I've tried to fight it, and I've never won. You don't know If it doesn't require grace, it's not gospel. And if whatever it is is staring you in the face and you say, I don't have a chance without him, then you are right in the middle of the gospel. Christian, do you really live a life of freedom? Or are you in bondage? Can I give you a simple illustration? I am, a, I am a licensed driver. No ticket showed up in the mail from running the yellow light the other day. I have a car yet. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that encouragement in my life. <laughs> I have a vehicle that runs. I have a tank of gas. Am I free to get in my car and drive north to Minnesota? Am I free to drive west to Nebraska, east to Illinois, or south to Missouri? Am I free to drive any of those places? Yes, I am. Am I free to do it at 100 miles an hour? No, I'm not. And it's not a question of whether or not I get caught. Listen, folks. The gospel, the law of love, Trusting God, obeying the gospel, those guardrails, those two things that we submit to, that's where true freedom is found. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I leave you with this question. Are you trusting God? And are you obeying the gospel? Are you trusting God? And are you obeying the gospel to the degree, to the degree that you can say yes to those two things? To that degree, you are truly free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the challenge of it and the reality of it. Oh, Lord, help us to obey it. Help us to submit to it that we might be truly free. May we trust you even when it's hard, even when we look at a world, when we look at government, when we look at situations all around us that cause us to wonder. And may we obey the gospel, the law of love that compels us to engage with a lost and dying world in the same way that you loved us. Pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.